Hello and welcome back to the Deborn Radio Gamescast. As always, I'm your host, Ryan, and today I'm joined by my lovely duo of co-hosts, Brett. Hello. And Wyatt. Hello. We're, we're having a nice, slightly late night tonight. We're going to talk about some Mario games. It's episode number 112, and we, we thought, you know, good time to, to relax a little bit, talk about some Nintendo games that we don't normally talk too much about. We tend to, to talk a lot more about things that involve violence, so... <laughs> Let's step away and talk about Mario. All right. Great. So before we talk about Mario, though, we have a few things to talk about this week that uh, are pretty interesting that came out. One is a little bit of news about Techland. Ah, I saw yes. this pop up on my feed earlier, and I was very, very interested in this because Techland, uh, the Dying Light developers and Dead Island developers, are currently working on a triple-A fantasy RPG with concept art that they showed that looks, like, Mayan-themed. And I'm very in. This, to me, is super cool. Yeah. Uh, The other piece of news of note here is that a lot of CD Projekt Red staff that had been at CD Projekt during the Witcher days is now at... uh, assisting on development of this title. Hmm. Including the narrative director of Witcher 2 and Witcher 3. So... That's Very interesting. And the narrative yeah. lead. Both of them are on this. That's a, that's a whole heap of good talent right there. Yeah, I would, I would attempt to pronounce their names, but I would completely butcher it. I can say I think Carolina Stakura is the, the narrative director, who I think I can say well, but Arkadiazis <laughs> Borowick, the narrative Holy lead. moment. <laughs> you know, I'm sorry. You're a braver man than I. You're, you're, I apologize you're, for that. You're a braver man than I. It's true, yeah. The only I reason give them the credit. Wyatt and I this will not cool. be ostracized is because we're not actually saying the names. True. <laughs> 100% true. Notice how I'm not saying anything for once? Exactly. <laughs> it is, I, I do, it's nice to see uh, a Western developed RPG not just be like knights and fantasy game number 500. Because I think we, we've talked about this kind of recently where it's just like, I... You know, it really, it, you have to bend that setting a lot for uh, me. And I think you also, Ryan, mentioned to, to find it interesting. Cause, I, know, I just think so you really easy. need to have the quality. If you're going to do standard fantasy, you need to have the quality level that is indicative of something like Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Which so few things have. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's hard to n- nail that. And, and for me, it's there, there's this kind of like warm, comfy blanket feeling of like a good old-fashioned european fantasy setting you know like there's something that's kind of like i don't know there's something that's kind of like comfortable and and nice about it but you know if you have something in a more unique setting that's going to immediately grab my attention more definitely yeah so i'm interested uh i i think the big quality indicator here is that techland does some good melee combat that's what i was gonna say first person rpgs have never had good melee combat, uh, especially open world type things, which is what this is. So, hopefully, if if Dying Light and Dying Light Two are indicative of the quality we can expect here, I'm really looking forward to seeing what a fantasy game with this kind of combat looks like. Uh, I think it'd be very fun. And you know, the one thing they always miss in because I, you know, uh, we're most of us are fans of Dying Light on here. At least Ryan and I were fans of of both games to a certain degree, and. They just can never nail that story. 
And so if they can get a lot of, you know, outside help from some people. Yeah, the Witcher team being like, involved is definitely a mark of it's some about as of exciting. Faith. It's about as exciting as when they said that Chris Avalon was going to be helping with the story in, uh, or going to be writing He the helped story. and then he left. <laughs> he helped and then he was an asshole and yeah. he left. So, you know, hopefully these guys stick around and their work is used because those guys definitely yeah. know what they're doing in the narrative department. So. Okay, so a couple other quick paced ones i just gotta do a, a little mini angry rant here about announcements of announcements mm. <laughs> <laughs> because the Squ square enix has announced that there's going to be announcements regarding the 25th anniversary of final fantasy 7 next month the wording of this is is great to me because it's it's worded as they they will make announcements next month regarding the 25th anniversary of final fantasy 7 it's not a confirmation of an announcement about remake part 2 it's just, we're going to make announcements regarding Final Fantasy VII's 25th anniversary. And I just, I find this to be such confusing wording. Um, yeah. And, and not, not even more that we're, we're getting to the point where I think Seven Remake Part Two is starting to need to be announced. We're, we're hitting the, the point where if it's not announced within this year, there's going to be some major concerns. Because it came out two, three years ago at this point. Just about so. Something like that, yeah. I I'm definitely hoping we get at least an announcement of the continuation. Um, but hey, if they're holding off until it's ready, that's fine. I just hope they actually release it because Nomura's team has often had uh an interesting relationship with release dates. <laughs> so I would time moves it. differently I mean, for them. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say Seven Remake is a perfect example of this. <laughs> yeah, but yes. it's important to note uh, the director of Remake Remake Part Two, Tetsuya Nomura, is no longer in the director role. Um, the one of the the Remake Part One had two directors. Uh, one was Nomura, and one was uh, Naoki Hamaguchi. So Naoki Hamaguchi is going to be the full time director for the second one, and Nomura is taking on a creative oversight position. Which hopefully means maybe he'll step step back a little bit and be willing to maybe let some other people take the lead on producing it because I do think otherwise this game is not going to come out. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> that's that's the big concern I have. Um, but yeah, hopefully it lives up to the excitement because I'm I definitely want to play this game. I'm very I was very happy with Remake Part One and if Remake Part Two is more of the same and just a, a more open structure, I would love that. So. All right, moving on. Y'all seen Multiversus? <laughs> I have. I've seen people talk bit. about it, but... Multiversus I, I is this night... I call it a nightmare creation of Warner Brothers things. <laughs> um, this is a, a cool, like, Smash clone type idea, right? Where you have all these crazy characters. You have Gandalf fighting Steven Universe characters, fighting uh, random people Batman. from, like, 90s cartoons... Uh, Batman and Superman. It's just this is a very funny cast for a game, and I think the big thing that to, that to me looks like it might set this apart is that I think this is gonna have voice acted characters. Yeah. I don't know that we've gotten a confirmation, but they've had a lot more trailer voice acting than uh, the man. I'm blanking on Nickelodeon. That's what's what I'm looking for. Nickelodeon Brawl ad, which is. To me, the big issue with the Nickelodeon Smash clone is just that nobody's talking. So it's like a, it's dead air constantly, which is such a shame when you have characters like SpongeBob who, who could have some really fun taunts against yeah. other characters, right? So hopefully they, they take advantage of voice acting. 
the cinematic trailer they showed kind of sold me. I'm kind of in. Yeah. I, I thought it was re- actually legitimately pretty funny. The um, other thing of note here is that it is free to play. Yeah. Oh, okay. Which we'll, we'll see how that goes. I, I'll, I'm looking forward to trying it. I'm not looking forward for the 27 skins that are going to be released for Harley Quinn within the first year. You know what's going to happen. If yeah. there's any kind of genre that kind of fits into free-to-play really well in a way that you can monetize it where it's not obnoxious, this is a pretty good kind of genre to do that. Yeah, with. as long as you're careful Character with it. And, yeah, yeah. As long but you don't Warner Brothers has a track record of some some rough systems with like Shadow Wars initial release and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, so we'll see how this this pans out, especially because the Warner Games division is kind of dissolved and distributed to different people now. So hopefully, I, it's a, it's I have some a, leadership. a sneaking suspicion that a year from now we're going to be doing an episode of games that everyone forgot about and doesn't care about anymore, and this is going to be in there along with Nickelodeon <laughs> All Stars <Yeah. laughs> because. I mean, free. I mean, I, I just like obviously because this isn't the topic, so I don't want to rant on it. But I, I, I agree with you, Wyatt, that you said this is the perfect genre to do this with, not because fighting games deserve to be free to play only, but because literally it's it's not Smash, so nobody's gonna care as much. Like Smash, yeah. It, if it's not Smash free to play, Ultimate, it's gonna have a hard time finding it. Yeah, exactly. And Smash Ultimate is like named not that going for away. A Exactly, it's, it's the ultimate yeah. smash. Even if it's done developing, different. that game is not going to go away for at least ten years. Um, yeah. And yeah, you're already coming into a crowded ecosystem with uh, Rivals of Ether having a lot of success. Even the indie space Brawlhalla. for these games is yeah. Brawlhalla's got the the free to play unlock. This I think will succeed or fail based on the recognition of characters. Which right now, mm-hmm. I would pin as a success at least for getting the initial group of players. We'll see yeah, if at they least stick be around, around for like a month or two. Yeah, and the the zeitgeist. Plus, All right. it's also really smart because Warner Brothers can time like character packs with the release of a movie, right? So it's like, oh, here's smart, yeah. the mm-hmm. Batman two. Uh, the villain in this one is is gonna be like a Scarecrow or something. So we're gonna have a Scarecrow character for multiverses. So that would work out pretty well from a marketing standpoint. Yeah, we'll see if if a company can handled transmedia releases and time <laughs> any kind of thing halo cough cough with the other media mm-hmm. product <laughs> do we want to talk about that at all we no, will when it's done <laughs> it is done. it is, <laughs> it is. <It's> done? <laughs> what? yes really? yeah man it is. hey all right i guess next episode <laughs> <laughs> Tune in for Halo Infinite in the Halo TV show that I don't think any of us have watched. And nor do I, any of us I want to. We should. I, I can't we handle should. this, Wyatt. No. I can't handle watching this Come show. Come on, we can do it. We can do you it. Can't you say that, but Through no. the power of friendship, we can do it. It's not strong enough. <laughs> Through the power of I don't want to give Paramount Plus any money. <laughs> that also. Free trial! Free trial! <laughs> right. It's get, possible. Get us out of the Paramount zone. And bad TV shows. Cowards. <laughs> Look, my, my time meter stick now is, is it better than Blue Reflection? And that's a high bar. So <laughs> I watched Morbius. Okay, my time was wasted once. Not again. That was my one thing for this year. So you're saying and Full year. Metal Panic, which is not much better. It, it's, it, I'm not going to do it again. No, what you're saying is come next year. 
We'll watch. Yep. Sure. 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 Right. Once once the countdown resets, then I'll be free. <laughs> I'm setting up the countdown right now. I'm doing it. All right. We got more to talk about. Uh, Fall Guys is going free to play. I, I think we all definitely saw this coming. Um, cool thing, though, with this free to play announcement, user created levels are now possible, yes, and you can create custom games in private lobbies with user created levels. So that's, cool. that's really cool. I really like this, uh, and it might get me to hop back in a little bit. If you ever bought a version of Fall Guys, you're automatically in like a premium category of player and have a bunch of stuff waiting for you if you open the game. So you got stuff. It's also cross play. So any platform will play with any platform now. Uh, all right, that's the big news for this week, which means it's time to talk about Super Mario. And one thing that Super Mario as a franchise is known for, spinoffs. So our game for this week is I need you two to give me the best Mario spinoff title that you can think of that doesn't exist already. We're, we're thinking of a Mario spinoff title. It's got to it's capture a niche that's different from the normal ones. Something like, I, I would love to see a Mario spinoff horde shooter. Yeah. <laughs> Just what that would inevitably end up looking like is very funny to me. <laughs> Mario right. Dynasty Warriors, that would be quite great. I have you got uh, a good one. amount of characters. Okay. So... As as we'll talk about, Mario has has been to space. He's been to the stars. He has been on the ground for the majority of his life. And you can consider uh, sunshine as being in the water if you really try hard enough. <laughs> we need our Mario arcade flight game. Where, of course. Where is the Project Aces and Super Mario? crossover event where's We've the had, top gun and mario exa crossover? exactly we have the donkey kong f-18 in the ace <laughs> combat game that's on the ds which i cannot get out of my head every time i close my eyes i see it where is the whole game about that i want i want mario to have his his you know maybe everyone it could be like mario kart where everyone gets their their little themed cart or whatever and everyone gets their little their little plane or air vehicle it could you know it could ease ease children in to the greatest franchise of video games of all time, Ace Combat. You get you start young, and then they, they want more, and as they grow into an adult, they, they need something more mature. They grow to love Ace Combat. Ace Combat. <laughs> exactly, yes. You plant the seeds for them to become better people as they grow older. <laughs> one, thing often, it. <laughs> one thing that, that often ha happens with franchises after a certain amount of time is that they go through the gritty remake phase. Oh, yeah. <laughs> of course. <laughs> where where it's completely rebooted and everyone is just a miserable asshole. So I submit to you the Naughty Dog version of a Mario game. Of course it's God. Naughty Dog too. <laughs> it is. It has God. to be. This is me we're talking about. So. <laughs> yeah. So it's got to be, you know, narrative-driven, you know, linear third-person action game. You got Mario as your main character. You got Peach as your AI companion throughout most of the game, and uh, and they're they're traveling through the mush the Mushroom Kingdom trying to escape the clutches of Bowser. That is, of course, a giant evil ancient dragon that has arisen <clears throat> after a giant horrible war uh, in the Mushroom Kingdom, and when he throws fireballs at people, they actually catch on fire, and it's the most horrific thing you've ever seen. 
I love that we've also given Naughty Dog the reputation of just being extreme realism when they did make the Uncharted games. Oh, I know. I know. <laughs> they did make many games that are not like that at all. Uh, <laughs> I, I would love to see this. I'd love to see Mario and Luigi rendered in realistic Naughty Dog proportions and how it's wrong like, look that like, would be. They could look like Chris Pratt. <laughs> yeah. It's it's like all There's those... Those classic meme posts from like 2007 or whatever. This is what graphics will look like in 2012. And it's like one of those pictures of Mario where he has like pores and he's just had like real skin texture all over him and oh, stuff. Yep. It's just that, yeah. but a whole game. If you want it to be 10 years late. <laughs> if you want it to be super try hard, you could, you could have it be Mario and Peach. And they're like, yeah, people always put us in this like, oh, I got to go save Peach. But I don't really know you as a person that well. And then they legitimately get to know each other through the course of the adventure <laughs> and they develop an a legitimate or romance filled why with... we want to take it even further they're already married and they get divorced over the course of the game oh my god oh, no they divorce before the game and then the whole thing is them it's rekindling them their marriage, their marriage. That, that's yeah. the rom-com version that, that's not the gritty realism that's the Hall hallmark movie <laughs> equivalent all right hey, now that we've dreamt up these horrific <laughs> mario like a, hallmark, a hallmark card story how dare you how dare you <laughs> It's truly horrible. Um, okay, so I want to actually talk about some Mario games today. So first of all, I wanted to ask, let's, let's lay out some general foundations of Mario experience so people know where we're working off of. Uh, I've played most 3D Mario games and like all the 2D ones prior to the DS days, I would say. Maybe one or two of the Wii versions of, of some new Super Mario thing. That's that's my my level of experience. I've played most of them aside from not having played Galaxy notably until today, <laughs> and not obviously not having played Galaxy Two, or uh, I hadn't played Sunshine until recently either. But after that, I've, I've played most of them. So who wants to go next? Who wants to outline their Mario credentials? Go for it, Brett. Um. Well, I'm not. I'm not a big Nintendo brain person that's played every single Mario every twenty times, but like. You know, I I've I played the original. I played Mario. Uh, yeah, I've I've, <laughs> I've played, played the, the old two D Mario's like to the point where you know they at least I can register them as having been played in my brain. They definitely don't all blend together at all. Um, and then a uh, big fan of Mario Galaxy, and I played a pretty solid amount of Odyssey. If we're just sticking with the main line. You know what you'd expect from Mario titles, obviously. Yeah, the the mainline Mario. We're not talking about the yeah. spinoffs. No, no Super Mario Party in our chat today. Yeah, yeah. So, thank God. Keep it to the mainline, <laughs> Wyatt. So, so all right, I'm gonna run down the whole list. All right, so what we're it's very track, extensive. I know it's a it's a mm -hmm. pretty it's a pretty big list. So we're gonna keep track. Okay, so I've played Mario Odyssey. Good job. <laughs> and, and Mario then... Odyssey. Yep. Mario Odyssey. Right, right, right. Um, Great. And then, uh, uh, yeah. All right. So we're going to talk about Mario 64 first, because I want to jumpstart us into the 3D era of Mario game. And then we'll, we might work backwards a little bit. But what I really had an interesting take of today is I went to the Mario All-Star Collection, which I don't know why this isn't purchasable anymore. Very silly decision by Nintendo. Uh, I was lucky enough to get a copy when it was existing as a thing that you could buy, so I got to play the games. And I, I went and played a couple levels of Mario 64, 
And then I went and played a couple levels of Mario Galaxy. And then I went and played like one level of Sunshine because I, I played a lot of Sunshine before. I didn't need to renegotiate my my enjoyment of Mario Sunshine. There are so few changes in how Mario controls between the three of those games, and even up to Odyssey. I think outside of the the cappy mechanics, Mario controls exactly the same with the same button combinations the entire time. And I think well, this worth is pointing out. Yeah, you're you're all you were playing all of these on on the Switch. You said on the Switch, yes. Because it's worth pointing out that Galaxy, the OG way, is is Wemo and Nunchuck. Well, yeah, so, so that, I played the, I enough. played it with Joy-Cons. You do use the Joy-Con as an, a Wiimote, essentially, and you have the little star bit collector. Um, so you've got all the mechanics of that just in the much better shape and handling yes, ability of modern Nintendo controllers. But the button combos are all the same. And I did want to point out, too, it's interesting how they all feel the same, and that's probably because you know it's on this nice Switch collection and you're using the same controller for all three of them. But notably, a lot of these games, obviously, have different control schemes. If you're playing Mario 64, you're using the abomination known as the N64 controller, which I can't even imagine how they, that... I would say they have different control that. methods. I don't think they have different control schemes. The schemes have stayed, stayed the same, but the, the controllers themselves are different. Because in all of them, all of them, you got your Z, L, and A. That's your, your running long jump. You crouch and then do your long jump. You got your ZL and back. That's your big flip backwards that you can do. Uh, and everything like around that trigger and all the jumps and whatnot always seems on the exact same buttons. They might be in different places on the controller, but they're the same buttons. Uh, the reason I wanted to call attention to this is because of the original development like logs they left for Super Mario 64, where they talked about how they spent months just doing the movement of Mario. And how smooth that is. And the fact that they could then take that for... Until modern day, essentially. Um, and they've just added new mechanics to all the games. And each of them has their own little gimmicks and whatnot. I think it's really incredible that that base control scheme and mechanics have made their way to every game. Uh, with a notable exception of they don't feel the same. Mario 64 doesn't feel as good as people often attribute it to feeling no. today. <laughs> 95% of the reason is the camera. <laughs> yes. It's it's definitely not the actual control because Mario controls fine. It's just the camera is a bit of a nightmare because it is not adjustable. I... Now, could they have done anything better back in the day using the N64 controller? Oh, well, no, it is... was revolutionary. Yeah, right. the, well, the that's, reason, that's like, the... <laughs> they, they've just, this is the game where they've justified the camera existing by having a little yeah. locket to hold it for you because they didn't know how else to convey how a 3D camera worked to a child because it was new. <laughs> mm -hmm. Like, that was the justification for that. And I, I'd like to uh, place at least the, the, remain, uh, the remaining 5% uh, of the blame on... Uh, some of the, the the level design and platform in 64. Yeah, being some very is, tight. It's just cruel. It's just mean. <laughs> it's, it's truly it's the dark terrible. souls of platforming. <laughs> God. Yeah. Uh, but I think that, that points to how well they've adjusted with modern stuff, which is weird to yeah. say with Nintendo, because Nintendo is usually not good at adjusting to modern <laughs> standards. Um, but with camera controls especially, going from 64 to Sunshine to Galaxy is a big like progression in each one of how the camera works because you have Sunshine, which mostly has a free camera. 
from the majority of the game. You've got standard, because you have the game controller with two joysticks, so you could actually control the camera somewhat sensibly. Um, then you go to Galaxy, which almost entirely has a locked camera again. Nope. Except this time it works way better than it did in uh, 64. And I think that's really interesting coming now to the like latest two Mario games, which are Super Mario 3D World and Odyssey, mm -hmm. because you then now have like two splits of 3D Mario with yeah. different camera styles, but still the same control scheme, which I, I just find really interesting as a, a split that's happened where you can keep the same controls but have very different camera functions to get different feelings. All right. Brett, I've been holding you back long enough. I know you want to talk about Mario Galaxy. I sat down today to play Mario Galaxy for the first time and intended to probably just play about an hour of it. Instantly played four <laughs> because it's it extremely good. good game. <laughs> um, but I want to let you take the lead here because you're the one that has beaten the game. So this, go for yes. the Mario Galaxy discussion. This... We we talked about this in our uh, our gamer psychoanalysis episode, uh, but for a while Mario Galaxy was my favorite game ever, and it's still like ever since it's come out. And I one of the things that I was able to play on release because all I had was a Wii. It has still like been in the the top five or top ten, which nothing else really has had as long of a reign in the the upper echelon, uh, because it's just like for a mario game it's so weird because it's like probably the easiest one out of all of them like you just replace mario with an original character and just have like no like mario-esque characters just like replace the mario characters with just like something that would fit space better and it would be fine it just it, mario almost feels like an afterthought dare i say because it's just like yeah. it's the worlds and galaxies look so weird. The soundtrack is so very unlike Mario. The everything before and after it sounds completely different. And like some of the things that they ask of you, like, yeah, the controls are the same, but some of the things they ask of you from a gameplay perspective are very different and, and weird than uh, what other Mario games want for you. And like the story, like what? The only thing that they had to compare to with with some of the more serious things is is uh, uh, Flood saying goodbye in Mario Sunshine, and you cried at that when you're like six. <laughs> Rosalina makes me tear up to this day <laughs> because I just, man, I, they... <laughs> I like having played just the first hour, the or not first hour, first four hours at this point of Galaxy, which is uh, a still a significant portion of the game. Going into that and seeing the amount of dialogue compared to any other Mario thing that I've played that mm -hmm. isn't like a Mario RPG game, um, pretty crazy. Because you have like yeah. full plot details and you have like a Zelda-style slideshow at the start that goes through the story as it is, which is really interesting. Yeah, which is, I think, also like... I mean, obviously you know like how awesome is that beginning for just like sucking the player in and just like okay you are like every other time it's like oh man peach is gone bowser brings in his mercenary ufo and blows up the city and turns all the the toads to crystal and probably like 
kills them if they decided to go into that much detail and everything's burning and he steals her away and flies away on his giant space pirate ship and the orchestral music is going crazy and Mario's just like uh, I guess I'm a good up. <laughs> I guess I'm a screwed it's like for a beginning of a Mario game it really does feel like the beginning of of a Zelda game almost like it has that like cataclysmic event for for one of the games that takes place in a more like more of the post-apocalyptic settings that Zelda sometimes has it's it's perfect for for bringing like either a kid or even a more mature player in to what is like you know I, I still consider it a kid's game obviously I don't think it's inappropriate for any like the younger person at all i don't think it's still mario obviously and still nintendo and they're very good at like deciding what that line is in terms of like not crossing yeah. it and going into mature territory but like it's 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 testing it for for what can be in a in a nintendo kids game um and it really doesn't it doesn't really drop that attitude the whole way through like i some of the some of the worlds are are pretty hard. And I remember being a, a child and getting very frustrated at some mm. of them to the point of of baby tears because I could not win. Uh, and like I said, with some of the 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 Rosalina stuff, I mean, they just get so serious where they have like the the saddest piano song I've ever heard in my entire life <laughs> playing in the library while you're reading her backstory. And it's just like, dude. Where, Someone put a lot of thought into what's going on here compared yeah. to the normal Mario uh, flow. Cause I, I played Paper Mario, the, the latest Paper Mario, Origami King, relatively recently, and I think even compared to that, there is more going on here in terms of like details in the story, which is wild that it's just a regular Mario game yeah. compared to the RPGs. Um, and yeah, I do want to mention especially the way that the camera and how gravity is handled yes is so cool um i do think it, it does lead to this is one of those games i imagine alex would get incredibly motion sick oh totally yeah <laughs> playing this game because i had to like adjust my mind to the fact that sometimes i'd run and the camera would focus on me like with the planet like this and yeah, i had to like yeah. run at a very specific angle um so it's definitely an interesting adjustment uh, and it generally works really well, especially in sections that have more mm -hmm. visible gravity in a certain direction of, like, there's a black hole beneath you, and you can kind of see how it's forming around the planet, or you're in, like, an up-and-down section that has gravity flipping in different areas. Um, mm -hmm. I did notice, though, there's a few few little issues that pop up because oh. of this. One is that if you hold your control stick at a specific angle, which can just happen while you're running around, you'll start doing rapid circles. <laughs> <laughs> it's just where you are and i don't 100 percent know what triggers this it i think it's got to be because i mean you know if you have the closest thing you can get in a nintendo game to simulated gravity around a sphere like you're gonna have like infinite amounts of poles i guess or whatever coming out from the center of the sphere yeah. and i guess if you hold it at the perfect angle you're just gonna end up orbiting <laughs> so i think it's i think what happens is the camera determines the direction of your movement until you've started moving and then does the resident evil thing where it locks you into that direction mm -hmm. until the camera like changes again or you let your hand off the stick but because it's so easy to like do micro adjustments i'll let my hand off and then put my hand back on and suddenly the directions are not the same anymore from what i was just yeah, doing yeah yeah 
So it it that has taken a lot of adjustment. It's been a thing that I've consistently noticed is a an annoyance in the game. But aside from that, I think it's one of my favorite 3D Mario's behind probably Odyssey and uh, 3D Land until it proves me wrong. But <laughs> <laughs> which it certainly could. I'm not that far. Um, yeah, I just think it's such a, a cool set of things, and I I love Nintendo's philosophy on power ups and like gimmicks in stages mm-hmm. where they last exactly as long as they need to. Yeah. Yeah. So when I play the honeybee level and get like all this honey set of mechanics, I've used that once, and then they're probably gonna pull it up once more later, I bet, and that's gonna be it. That's gonna be yep. all I see of that, and it's gonna be just enough to think, oh, that's a cool mechanic. All right, I'm good. Come <laughs> on to the next yep. thing. Um, Power ups pretty much get used like twice maximum if they even yeah. have their own like galaxy devoted to them, and that's it. And you can they go know, back for optional stuff, but it's optional. So they know exactly how many times to use a gimmick before it gets stale. Like it's yeah. it's it's a really really difficult like especially if you play like you know, an Ubisoft open world game, which has two or three cool ideas and then just drives it into the ground until you're sick of it. Like this yeah. exact opposite. It's like, it really just takes like a willingness those... to get rid of mechanic. Even if you think there might be like one other cool thing you can do. If there's not like five other cool things you can do, don't use it anymore. Yeah. It's, I can't like, the, it must be a process of like, okay, here's our gimmick. And then they just come up with like, hundreds of different use cases for it and then they select like the best yep. you know yeah. five ten to work with and then probably trim it down even more because i think on on top of that too just like i mean obviously it, it's sandbox for for mario is different than the sandbox for something like halo or something like you're not switching weapons and and dealing with like like grenade physics and stickies and stuff like that but like i think the sandbox in mario galaxy because they have the the gravity mechanics and the platform mechanics and all like the weird, like little puzzle solving things of like the different stuff that could possibly like chase or block you and stuff. They have those down. Like once you, you know, iron out the, the kinks that are there just because of the fact that it was a Wii game and they were trying so many new things. Yeah. Uh, once you iron out those kinks, when you're playing it, uh, like you can really tell they just, have a huge amount of ideas and they don't need to rely on the fire flower or something being like a sometimes pickup like it would be in a lot of the older games where you just like see it in a level and be like okay this i could store up three of these or this is the 90th time i've run into one because they just come in random levels sometimes it's like no there's like two or three scenarios per and that's it because every other situation is purely based around something is blocking you something is chasing you or you need to jump in a certain way to kill the thing. And they have so many different variants of that, that they really don't need to rely on. One of good example of that is like one of the early bosses where it's just, it turns into a tennis match. Of yeah. You bouncing a fun. coconut just because it's using like the mechanic that had been present in that zone of, you can hit a coconut yep. to defeat certain enemies, but then the enemy learns how to block it. So you get like a rally tennis match essentially for mm-hmm. a very brief moment with, a boss and it's it those little ideas where it's such a natural progression of what you've learned in the level and you also don't need to explain it like no one has to tell me yeah. this is what you do to defeat the boss i have eyes 
I, you have eye, and not only do you have <laughs> eyes, Ryan, you will you might notice that you also have ears because every time you make you make a successful rally, it does like a like a, a, a jazz yep. chord up back and forth. It goes bam, 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 and it's really satisfying. To hear that hits on the other thing way. I want to talk about with Galaxy specifically is that I think this is when Nintendo hit their we understand how to do a Mario tutorial actually mm-hmm. right because um, a lot of people talk about Mario Super Mario the original Mario games uh, 1-1 being a good tutorial level but that falls apart uh, if you do certain things because you, you can't you have to in that moment jump on the thing hit the block get the thing that then teaches you all those mechanics if you don't do that and you run away and then lose the thing and then jump on top of something and keep going, the tutorial hasn't worked. <laughs> you haven't learned anything. So I, I think that tutorial is like good if the player does it right, but so many people are not going to do it right and they're going to do whatever they want when they're, they're playing it. So it leads to confusion. By the time you get to Galaxy, because with 64, they had the problem of, okay, now they're over-explaining things. Now I'm getting text boxes for every mechanic. That's maybe a little bit excessive, although 64 has the benefit of you can ignore them. You can just run past the, the little read boxes. But the way that they thought to tell the player how to do things is put text boxes here. In Galaxy, it feels like they knew when to do that and when not to, because they'll give me a tutorial on how to use the star bit Wiimote shooting thing, because that is not super self-explanatory, um, how that works. So that is explained. But then when I get the bee suit and then learn that it's not immune to water and you can jump in water and lose it uh you learn that by going up and they have a platform that you have to get to to get to the next area of the level this platform is 90 percent water so most players are going to go up and land in the water and go whoops now i need to go back and get the bee suit at this bee spawner right nearby yep. so you are in a situation where it doesn't matter if you do it right or wrong there's a way to get back there very quickly and it doesn't cost you a life or anything Um, So you learn in that situation very quickly how this water works. If you don't do it, you will very quickly learn on the next area that has water everywhere what's going to happen. And Even if you don't ever die to the water, they start to place the water in ways that look like hazards. Mm -hmm. So that even if you know as Mario, you'll be fine in the water. You'll kind of figure as B-Mario, maybe I shouldn't be... Why would these water jets be here if they're not going to break my B-suit? So it really feels like they learned how to design a level that actually encourages you to use a mechanic correctly without necessarily needing to teach it to you, which I think is really impressive. Um, And that continues from then, I think. All the other more recent Mario games, 2D and 3D, have been really good at teaching that type of mechanic uh, in a way that is, is not terrible. There, that, that's it. Anything else about Mario Galaxy you want to add, Brett? Um, uh, I mean, just like overall stuff, I guess while, while we're still the hub world's really the, cool. Yeah, the hub world is, I think, one of my favorite hubs because it does it just look like a bunch of stuff thrown together. Yeah, kind and of, then it yeah, visually changes point. as you get yes, further, which is great. Exactly. You unlock more doors to go through in a very satisfying way. There's Feels so like much a Lego you can hub world. Explore. Yes, it does. It does because it has all the different themes visually represented and stuff. It's really, yeah. Um, and then while well, we still have uh, tutorials kind of like more in the, the frontal lobe, um, don't forget also that they teach the beginning stuff in a way where it's not like, okay, make sure you press the stick and do that. It's like, no, uh, here's an orb, go 
go find some bunnies around the order. They're hiding. You gotta you gotta run around the little playground. You remember Mario sixty four and how much people hated that basement section? Do that, but now it's not nearly as bad. So it's fun. Yeah, exactly. Although um, I did have to look for like eight minutes for the last one because I was very stupid and ignored that they kept saying maybe I should have hid hidden the grass. No, it's <laughs> like oh, so I shouldn't look in the grass because you didn't. <laughs> God, you're thinking it too too hard, Ryan. These are children that they're trying to find them. Look, I I was God. like, oh, so that's Big where it's not. The Mario <laughs> Which doesn't make sense, because I got it the first time, and they are like, oh, go check by the crater. And so I was like, alright, I'll go check by the crater. And then the second time... <laughs> can't tell you what happened. Fast one on you. <laughs> uh, and then the, the last thing I'll say that stays true for pretty much the entire game is that this is one of the like actually the best soundtracks ever like i'll talk about near or final fantasy 7 remake having one of the best soundtracks i i'd go so far as to say that mario galaxy one soundtrack is like underrated because people just don't talk about it anymore because it's not a jrpg so it's not like immediately expected to have it doesn't have angelic choirs exactly yeah but it just has it almost feels like a like a Ghibli movie soundtrack where it just has like those those strings and the way they put the horns in and the way everything goes together is just so like you are having fun. Oh, <laughs> it's just blaring that feeling of having a great time right into every pore of my body. And it's yes, I am. This is great. Thank you. <laughs> I'm having a good time. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, I do want to call out one specific boss that I fought against. The, the like, big crab leg monstrosity boss, which is, yes, like, I think the third yes. boss that you fight. Super The first cool. main, main one, yeah. Yeah, the first biggest one. And walks around, you have to, like, climb up the leg, and then you do, like, a little shadow of the Colossus, run up a gear leg onto yeah. the head. And it, it is peak what if we did Shadow of the Colossus, but it was Mario. <laughs> And that, to me, is really cool. Uh, I always love the like gigantic mechanical bosses that happen in Mario games occasionally. Yeah. So that boss design specifically was super fun. And I, I'm looking forward to seeing what other bosses exist. So, all right. Get ready. Jump forward in time a little bit to not Super Mario Odyssey. <laughs> Still got to wait a minute, Wyatt. We got to jump to Super Mario 3D. Uh, in the the 3D franchise, I believe 3D World is the console one, but um, I think so. I'll double check that. I I want to call it these games specifically because they take such a great uh, view of how to implement the 2D level design of Mario into 3D, mm-hmm. where you have these very built out structured levels, but they get hard. Um, yeah. 3D World especially, especially the things you unlock after you beat the main campaign. Um, you get some like crazy remixes of levels and whatnot that are way more difficult, and it feels like they were just like, all right, you guys have said you want a, a Mario game that has more difficulty to it, more more zaniness. Here, beat this <laughs> and put that, it in front that, of you. Those games specifically, especially with all the stuff that they they've added in, it's like I. It almost feels like they don't even have to make like another one because they've just exhausted the like they've absolutely wrenched out every single drop of 2d to 3d mario sandbox that they possibly could like unless they add like a whole new like mushroom or something like that because they added Um, the the bowser's fury mode which essentially takes some of the odyssey adjustments and puts them into 3d world's gameplay where you still have that like really snappy and 3d world is definitely 
a bit more cartoony in how you handle you handle you just jump a little bit farther than I think you do in Odyssey and you have more uh zippy momentum whereas Odyssey has more weight. So I think 3D World still plays pretty different and Bowser's Fury is a really cool adjustment of that into like this small open world space. So I'd love to see how that kind of gets taken in the future to new Mario thoughts, new Mario games, whenever we inevitably get whatever the Odyssey sequel is going to be. So I'm looking forward to seeing where these, these ideas go. I do think 3D World is definitely currently probably my favorite 3D Mario, just because it has the level structure that I it gets you right into the fun immediately. Yeah, yeah. So it's very fun. I, I do think that game just deserves a lot of special praise, and Bowser's Fury is a very cool addition. Now it's time to talk about Super Mario Odyssey, Wyatt. <laughs> so how is this as your first Mario game? How? Um, well, uh, to put it bluntly, uh, jumping on enemies, it just never made sense to me. Not that, like, oh, this is a dumb mechanic. More in the sense of, like, I'm too stupid to be able it to... It wasn't a it thing that you I ever... Like, I'll I'll jump on... I'll try and jump on a Goomba, and then I'll arc it perfectly to land right in front of him and get hit, and just be like, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and, I see. And just I see. Platformers, especially 2D platformers, is just not something that my brain computes. I don't know what it is. I can't calculate jump arcs properly. And that is not the fault of the game in any way. That's just me. So platformers are just not my thing. Um, but with this one, I, I heard it was uh, very accessible to you know newer players. And I just, I liked the idea of like the cappy mechanic a lot. Um, the, the sort of open-ended structure at all the levels and stuff was pretty interesting. So I was like, why not? Let's, let's, let's give it a try. Uh, and I loved it. I I love this game. <laughs> I do think Cappy is probably my favorite Mario gimmick. Um, yeah. We'll see if maybe that might change to Galaxies like Gravity by the time I finish it, because I do really like how they handle Gravity in that game. But Cappy as a thing that you can do just adds so much to a game. It, it, it is really cool. is a fun mechanic. It's yeah. not just, you know, oh, I can throw Cappy <laughs> on a tree and become a tree. It's... He's he's like a, a form of an attack. You can use him as a platform. You can use him as an extra jump. The like jump tricks him. you can do with Cappy are insane. There's people that can the get across entire levels without ever touching the ground. The crazy yep. things. I mean, listen. If you watch, if you still watch uh, video game donkey videos, the things he's able to achieve in Mario Odyssey blew my mind. Like that was the first time when I watched one of his like one of the <clears> balloon <throat> like game mode videos. Yeah, just the crazy stuff he was pulling off. I didn't even think was possible, and it's insane. Like the the skill, it's it's very accessible for people like me. But the, I mean, the skill gap is is crazy. Like what it allows you to do is is unreal, honestly. Definitely, um, and I I do really appreciate the content that it got post release of especially the balloon mode. It's just such a fun platformer idea of go hide this balloon somewhere in this little level and see how quickly another player can find it. And I think that's just such a cool asynchronous multiplayer idea in this type of game where it's just go go put this somewhere and see if they find it by then. Well, it's, it's, it's just a really fun idea. And it, it makes you wonder too, because like all of, almost all of the areas I can think of are really well designed for that game mode. So it's like, did they design the areas with this game mode in mind before it even came out? Like it just, 
it makes you wonder how far they were thinking ahead in terms of like post launch support. Yeah, you know, I, I'm really curious about that. Um, but I think the the biggest thing that stands out to me was just how much they rewarded you for being curious about a level. It's like, oh, this is yeah, kind of yeah. like an empty looking area. Like mm -hmm. I'm gonna walk right over to the edge of the map. Oh, if you drop down, there's this little cave with like a crap ton of like coins in it and stuff. Like they do such a good job because the the areas are like condensed. They're they're really like small, but they are absolutely jam packed with stuff to do things to collect coins and they do such a good job of like of never telling you that there's something over there but they use a lot of different pulling you uh, in that direction the yeah. level design just from a, like a visual like a psychological perspective is like there's something over there we're not going to say what and we're not even going to say that it's over there but it's that like you may not have noticed it but your brain did there's something over there and you want to know what it is. And yep. they do such a good job of that. Yeah, it's Why like it... they took the... You can... Go ahead, Brett. Uh, it, it, it's like they took, like, the... I think we talked about this in the uh, the Elden Ring games cast, maybe, but, like, the, the good part of open-world design, where it's like, okay, I don't, need a, I don't need a waypoint if there's just, like, a cool tree over here, or if there's a cool mountain over here. Like, there should be... There shouldn't be nothing at the top of the tallest mountain on the map halo infinite there should be something there I, I wasted my time going up it there should be something cool or there should be something cool hidden off this cliff that i can clearly just barely hug the side of uh and like which i don't think they really should have even worried about that because those like you said those worlds are so small but like they they didn't even care about stopping. They just went absolutely insane. It is impossible to feel bored while playing Odyssey yeah. because there's just so much yeah. to do. It was because I, I usually never like when I complete the story mode in a game or like, quote unquote, complete the game, I'm done with it and I move on to something else just because there's something about like returning back to a game after I just played it where I'm like, eh, I'm not really feeling this anymore because I feel like I, I've concluded my time mm -hmm. with the game, right? Like I'm done. This is one of the few games where like I went back to every single area and tried to get as many coins and collectibles as i possibly mm -hmm. could i never do that for a game get all those areas so much... yeah no I, I got i don't i don't i didn't get every single one but i was pretty impressed with myself i got like you know three-fourths of the way there or something and there's like over 800 moons yeah there's like 890 there's a lot of and so it says something for me where it's like i finally went back and just replayed all of these areas and just spent so much time like dicking around and looking for things yep all right wyatt you have done exactly what i hoped would happen which is you've hooked us into what is the real topic of this episode that i wanted to get to oh uh, which is <laughs> how do we take the incredible level design and world design of mario games and pull it into games that are not platformers because I was playing earlier today, uh, not earlier today, earlier this weekend, a, a little-known game called Ghost Recon Wildlands. <laughs> oh, man. Notably, this is not oh, the bad man. Ghost Recon game. This is right, the, the right. one that came out before Breakpoint. Um, this is the pretty good one. This is Yeah, this is the, the okay one. It, it was like 7 out of 10s, you know. It's, it's a military it's a game. It's a 7 game. out of 10. And man, I really like a lot of the mechanics of this game i like it feels like someone took the ideas presented in metal gear solid 5 and decided hey let's build a more full game out of this and make the open world a little bit more interesting and then they didn't know how to make an open world more interesting and so they just made generic just cause far cry locations 
uh, in a Spanish-speaking area and called it a day. So I've been having mixed feelings with this game, mostly because I really like the gameplay. The stealth action is great. Uh, it's it's very good. The AI is incredibly stupid, as it is in almost every stealth game. So I don't particularly count that against the game. But I do think it does not put up as much of a a fun experience as it could um, compared to some of its competitors. And I have to think most of that is down to the design of camps and what you can do in the world and how instead of like finding a weapon on a mission or something, I just find one, a big crate with a gigantic weapon logo sitting in the middle of a field. And I'm like, all right, this is, <laughs> doesn't feel like the game pulled me here. It feels like I stumbled in the right direction completely <laughs> randomly. Um, and then there's moments of the game where I go rescue a hostage, and right outside is like an enemy helicopter that they just landed. And it's like, hey, this is a really cool moment where they provided enemies that could spawn in with this. So I, if I shoot them down without killing them and they land this here, I can then take it and get my hostage out very easily with this helicopter. So there's like it, it's this constant back and forth of what feels like halfway to the right decision, and then we completely forgot what we were aiming for, uh, which to me also describes Watch Dogs Legion. And also describes Assassin's Creed Valhalla. Uh, Very Ubisoft <laughs> trademark, <laughs> one might say. specifically modern Ubisoft. Uh, not... Mm-hmm. I, I think if you go back to like the Black Flag days, you don't really see this. Um, which is really interesting to me. Because Black Flag has to do it very differently. Because you're looking at whole islands and not a like small confined level. So that you need to be like, okay, well how does an island tempt me to go to it? And the answer is just give a weird rock outcropping that looks funky. Yeah. Put trees in weird places. Um, have it not have any icons on the map, and I'm going to be like, what's over there? <laughs> if you don't give yeah. me an icon and everything else is icons, I'm like, well, what's there? Um, and it feels like they, they had that down at Black Flag. Uh, to a lesser degree, I think Origins did it really well, aside from the fact that Origins ends up being very level grindy. I think a lot of the the actual world design in that game does pull you in the right direction of like, you see a pyramid, there's going to be stuff to do in the pyramid um, when you get there. And they're going to use that for cool crossovers where Final Fantasy 15 characters show up (laughs) and you get a Chocobo camel Uh, for some reason. So, yeah. I will say, uh, in terms of Ubisoft open world, I think probably the best recent example of like good open world design, I think um, uh, Immortals Phoenix Rising does a very good job. Absolutely. because it's much smaller and and it's a much more like cartoony art style so they're so they do they they make more crazy looking stuff to kind of entice you to an area. So I think that's a recent yeah. example of but, but that's also such a like <laughs> very atypical Ubisoft and I don't know if we're ever going to see something like that again for a while. I don't know. I hope we do, but yeah. It's every yeah, every like love to half decade like we'll, we'll we'll see a a, a grow up or uh, an Immortals Phoenix Rising. Where Maybe when like, the Prince of Persia remake comes out, we can relive maybe. the glory days of Ubisoft doing really good level design. <laughs> yeah, because a lot of the times it's just like, and I guess you can we, we can bring this back to comparing it to what Mario games usually do well too, is like, how many, obviously because like as time has gone on, I've, I've played less and less of them, but how many modern Ubisoft games where it just feels like, is it didn't really get the polish it deserved. And it almost feels like they didn't really have that much fun making it. Like you can't obviously different kind of game, but like 
You're telling me that the developers of Rainbow Six Siege had fun making it? Are you insane? That does remind me. No. We did see today a announcement of Rainbow Six Siege getting Yakuza characters into Siege. Which As operators? Me... So there, there's skins for existing operators. It still is ridiculous. Okay. That is it's dumb. Incredibly I think... insane. I think uh, one example to, to kind of like answer that question one example of an ubisoft like a typical ubisoft open world game that i do feel like had a lot of love in it i have such an affection for watchdogs too i think that was a game where i felt like the the love and the passion came through because they weren't taking just the ability to walk into a store yeah it was a very it was a very immersive uh open world and you just had some bonkers weird missions right like one of them is Oh, you have to go to uh, an Ubisoft developer like building and then hack a bunch of their games that were also like hints at future Assassin's Creed games to come because oh, Ubisoft games get leaked all the time. Like that's a fun little mission that I feel like they probably had fun making or one where you have mm -hmm. to like you have to walk around a bunch of like um like housekeeping robots that were just there vacuuming, but you have to like <laughs> kind of sneak past them in order to get into yeah. this like millionaire mansion or like one of them is you have to um like sneak into a like a scientology type place to like uncover a bunch of secrets just that is one instance where like I, the level design was really good for uh I, I feel like watchdogs is always in like specific missions that had really fun level design with how you can hack all these different parts of the building and stuff and that one they got really goofy with it it was super weird and out there and i feel like that was one where they had a lot of fun making it but again, that's once in a blue moon. And it's also it's, yeah, the ones exactly. that don't sell as well. <laughs> yeah. Which is wild to me. It, I do find it really interesting that games like Watch Dogs 2 don't sell as well. Um, I wonder about if that happened with Immortals Phoenix Rising. I am curious about Phoenix Rising. That I think that game probably sold more comparatively, but I wonder I how much Watch of that Dogs is just 2, the art style. I think, too, Watch Dogs 2 was let back by the first one and how overhyped it was that was like yes, one of the yeah. first big examples of like ubisoft way over promising and showing fake footage like that was the first time i think people as a whole began to notice that and so i think that looms large over the series as a whole mm -hmm. but i just say it's it's such an interesting thing to look at um all right so i do think there's a few other games that demonstrate this point really well one i'm gonna bring back an oldie but a goodie good old skyrim Re-released for eternity. How do you take a game like Skyrim and drag people to different corners of things? How do you make an interesting dungeon, especially? Because Skyrim has this problem where I think this... I've been playing a lot of Skyrim recently just because I'm in a modding kick. But going back through a lot of the base game dungeons, you find two really different design philosophies with them. One of which is just, hey, there's a dungeon here. Here's some enemies. This is it. That's what you get. One of them is, here's a dungeon, here's like ten phases of different areas, here's like four different art styles you're going through. The amount of, the level of like difference in the quality of some of these things astounds me. Like if you look at Blackreach and then you look at anything else, it's just like, how are these from the same game? So I just, I wonder if it's just some kind of like quality control process that gets lost, if it's something along the lines of like, obviously comparing the scope of something like Skyrim and the scope of Super Mario 
is a ridiculous <laughs> statement. Sound like a crazy person. A but, bit, yeah. <laughs> but I think if you look at something like Odyssey or 3D World, they probably have a relatively similar number of like micro dungeons that you do compared to something like Skyrim of like these weird little platforming levels. Um, and I think the thing that makes those all really stand out is that you have in the Mario and actually in Breath of the Wild, I would say this works pretty similarly to in Shrines, this micro dose of a mechanic. They give you one new thing to play with whenever you're in one of these areas. And that's the idea for that, that section. And it feels like that type of design works really, really well. So I would love to see more design in, in any kind of proper thing that, that does that kind of mechanic where you'll have different, uh, like a singular mechanic that, that drives you through an area in like these d different segmented spaces. I would love to see in Skyrim, you, you get like a weird spell in one dungeon. You got to use that weird spell to do something crazy, you know, to give me something strange like that. There's like bits where they play around that with the shouts, but I would love to see more wild mechanics. I wonder how much better Skyrim would be if it just had moving platforms. They really never ever have that. Because <laughs> I, I, I would know. There's the occasional like maybe like gap you have to jump, but that feels pretty rare. Like what if what if you went on like a Dwimmer expedition where there's moving platforms and you gotta like navigate through an area? Um that would be so fun. <laughs> it just doesn't I, exist unless you get mods. Uh, yeah, I think it like that's definitely one of like, and I'm speaking just about Odyssey, obviously, but that's one of Odyssey's like biggest strengths is just the sheer amount of variety, but how it never falls under the weight of itself because it it sections yeah. everything off, like you said. It feels like everyone had a, a a cool mechanic or like some sort of unique like level design idea and nintendo's like okay we're gonna give everyone a space we're gonna give everyone a space to make whatever they want and you're just gonna contain it to that one area so that you can develop it as much as you want and then we're just gonna move on to the next thing and because like the, the levels themselves are almost like hubs to other areas but the hubs themselves are just as yep. much fun as the areas you go to it's mm -hmm. very strange and i i want to bring up a very specific thing that I played through recently, which is a, a Skyrim mod called Midwood Isle, which is a it's an older, relatively small-scale DLC-type mod for Skyrim, where you, you're put in this little island of, of elves and you gotta do some things. At one point, you wind up in a spirit world, and in the spirit world, you gotta like go do three trials for the, the spirits there. And one of them is called the Trial of Kings, and this is the type of idea that I would have loved to see games like this run with, where what happens is you're teleported into this mini dungeon, which is just a series of like five rooms next to each other and an NPC that talks to you. The first room is a room filled with books and he goes, find this piece of information for me. And you just got to go find this piece of information in the books. And he'll, if you take too long, he'll tell you what book it's in. So you're not stuck there forever searching through like an entire library of things, but it's a really cool, like interesting thing. Then he walks to the next room and it's just like a single person sitting down who then tells you a crime that they committed and you have to like decide what happens to them. And then you do that three more times. And for every option that you choose, I don't think there's a wrong way to do it, but for every one of these, you get like four different options and then he'll have a, a line of dialogue kind of reprimanding you for whatever you choose. And the entire point after that is revealed that it was like a test so that you can get past self doubt and whatnot. 
Um, it's a really cool section. And then it goes to a section where it's just a room filled with every crafting station in the game and a couple of random NPCs. And it's like, just do what feels right. <laughs> you just go in this room and all you, you have to do, I think this, I think you could probably just interact with anything in here to get it right. I just went to one of the beggars and gave him coin. And then he was like, all right, great. So I think little weird wackadoo ideas like that are what makes something like that so memorable. Um, it's, it's almost like escape room esque. Yes. It's just like, because, because, like in real life, I mean, you have the the sandbox of the things that are available to you, both in physics and in like objects in the room, and it's just like, okay, you're in the game now. All right, well, what are the mechanics that we can do? Well, it's Skyrim. There's not like, there's no crafting mini game. Let's just make it a moral quandary that can be solved by crafting something in this room, and depending on what the player does, like that's that's exactly what like that. It's a very the nintendo-esque thing to do where like if the mechanic is yeah. there and it doesn't have like 95 billion applications for every single thing under the sun then is it really a nintendo game because <laughs> it's just mm -hmm. like something like it, it i'm gonna classify them as the same thing because they're both like vital to crafting is 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 vital to a lot of adventure games and jumping is vital to mario like how many things is jumping used to solve it's weird, yep. but how many things could you make crafting solve that isn't just, I need weapon that has a higher number in green. I will craft that. I just now, craft, craft something weird. What gets even more interesting here is that's just one of three trials that you have to do for this quest. And this is one of like ten quests in this little DLC thing, not including all the side quests. And you go and talk to, at another point, do something called the Trial of Scholars. And in this one, you're just presented into like a Skyrim type dungeon with no enemies and it's just puzzles. It's just all environmental puzzles that you have to do. And it's way better than anything in the main game where you have to actually like logic out. And it just did one thing that like blew my mind that they thought of this. It's so simple. Instead of having images depicting what like thing to match to on the weird pillars, it describes the animal on the face of the pillar that you're meant to put there. And so you have to, like, riddle out which of the three animals it belongs in which position. And I'm just like, why was that not attempted <laughs> in the main <laughs> game? Because it's such a, a smooth line of, like, having a line that's like, I'm higher than everything on this list, but not stronger. And you have to, you're like, oh, that's the bird. Um, and you have this interesting like, little mini dungeon like that. And then the third one that you do in this little bit is a Trial of Champions, which is just an arena. It's just actual fighting. So you get this like nice microcosm of all the types of dungeony content in Skyrim, and it works really well to give you these little micro doses of things you can do. And it just to me is like that's the type of design that I think works really well, where you have these little interesting characters that have you do interesting things. And like the the arena bit is very basic. You are in a, a boxy arena fighting single enemies at a time. But what makes it really memorable is there's a dude commentating over the entire fight that you do, like getting so hyped, good. so hyped the I entire like time. Uh, and he's like, is the Dragonborn going to do this? And he's like, oh, it's werewolves this time. And it's so fun just having this weird overhyped commentator who's like been dead for 100 years or something. Um, and just seeing that kind of idea taken to a game like Skyrim is really interesting. And it's so unique but going back and this is where i wish we had alex here to talk about morrowind because morrowind does a lot of that morrowind definitely had a lot of that design where it's just pulling you to an area based on what's there so i do just think it's it's a 
not a lost art, but an art that is slowly leaving the forefront of, of design in spaces. Yeah. So I'm hoping we get back to that with newer things. It would be nice, because I think that's kind of attached to uh, having having trust in your audience that I feel like a lot of games yeah. uh, do not. <laughs> and they just simplify things down to where it's just like, baby should be able to solve this, and it's not fun for people who are not baby. Which there's definitely a place for those. Oh, of course. Of but when everything's but like that, but whenever exactly. depressing. Yeah. yeah. It also leads to, I think, a, a problem that... I don't think this has happened yet. I think it will happen soon where if you if everything is going for a general audience, the general audience will no longer be able to afford everything. Mm-hmm. Which means franchises that are moving from niche audiences to a general audience are going to have the problem of okay, well maybe we make more money once. Maybe this release that comes out makes big bucks one time. Now we've lost all of the players that had stuck with our franchise that were keeping us afloat for this long and now the general audience doesn't care for the second one that we've made what do we do you're out of luck at that point um i i think just think this is the thing that we're gonna start seeing more of is the same reaction that like far cry 6 got of okay this is the same thing again but with content that is maybe of slightly higher quality but in, in exchange you've got this issue of the progression isn't the same it's not as satisfying you don't have perks anymore instead you have these armor pieces that don't look good that you have to wear because they give you the perk that you want and like i enjoyed far cry 6 but i don't like that <laughs> i'd much rather not have to do with that uh so i i think there's this weird thing that's that we're moving towards of, of all these games starting to be the same which is going to become a real problem i'm just yeah. hoping we start to, to push away from that soon i think you can see that with bethesda uh, specifically Fallout 76. So I think Fallout 76 was the this is too much of the same reaction outside of it just not technically working. <laughs> <laughs> not functioning as a working application. It's like I've, I've been on a binge of a lot of survival type games and survival crafting games and Fallout 76 is I think technically speaking better than a lot of them in concept but not in execution of you have this problem of okay it's got base building anywhere but the base building's not fun uh it's not enjoyable you can't do a lot of things i had to ask myself why do i like building a a house more in skyrim than i do in fallout 4 it's because in skyrim it's i don't have to make the outside look good and trust me i'm a person that's capable of making the outside look good (laughs) but i don't want to do it in sometimes Fallout, just don't feel like it. sometimes I would it rather really choose <laughs> I want to have a wizard's tower in this house, and so I get a wizard's tower when I put the materials in. And I think that's the, the complexity level that worked well for their type of building, and then the, the detail is in how you outfit the interior, and like what items you make for the inside, and like how you, you basically become an interior designer for your home, which is cool. In Fallout, you have to do everything. And all of it looks bad. No matter what you do, you're going to look like a bunch of junk, which is a cool aesthetic... For a lot of things, but I don't want to make junk houses constantly. Sometimes yeah. I want a good-looking house, and I can't do that when it all looks like junk shacks. So, <laughs> yeah, it's interesting to me because um, I I just think it's weird that we we've hit this point of things becoming so similar, and it's such a shame. I forget what the video was 
talking about. I think it was a, a indie game called Cat World, but Nitro Rad. If either of you mm. have ever heard of him, he is one yep. of the classic indie game uh, YouTubers. Uh, he said, I don't understand, and I'm paraphrasing, why people who are making games now just try to make games that are for everybody instead of just making the best version of the game that they're making. Because those are two very different things. Which is wild. And you know what? Ubisoft is a perfect example of this because Ubisoft does make one game that is the best version of a genre. Anno eighteen hundred is like the best city builder that I've ever played. They've given it four years of DLC support. Each time this, every year this DLC gets tacked on, it's another like thirty to forty bucks for a season pass. Most people that have played that game one time that are into city builders, guarantee to you have bought all of them because they're all really good. And guess what that means? Now you've made more money from this one game than you would on so many yeah. others. Uh. And of course, that's, it's a limited scope because it's PC only. It's not a thing that you can have on consoles just because it's a, a game that is not conducive to that. So I, I do wonder just how... I, I wonder if the success of that is going to lead Ubisoft to do anything different. I don't know that it will. <laughs> but I'm not well, confident they the see thing. it as success. But City building as a genre is like... I, I would say it's one of the more popular niche communities, but I'd still say it's a niche community. Yeah. And but you like you you look at every single other thing that Ubisoft's making. I don't think I would say that any of those communities that they're developing for are niche at all. Like all their games becoming open world adventure and the few other shooters that they're making, like those are hugely oversaturated genres. They don't yeah. have room to have that. Like oh, we can just we can stick with this one Assassin's Creed game and just keep like adding stuff to it for the next. Five, ten. When years you're contending with Ghost of Tsushima and exactly. games like it, your your competition has raised the bar, and now you need to also exactly raise could, the bar if you're aiming for such a general audience. I could see the mindset being okay. We have our Far Cries, our Assassin's Creeds, all this stuff that like mainstream probably makes us the most amount of money. We'll let we'll let this little annal thing exist in its own thing because people like it and it's doing well enough. But we don't want to have too many of these because they don't sell as well as our you know open world stuff you know it's like yeah until like you know whatever we'll leave it alone as is until the diminishing returns begin diminishing and the things that sell very well stop because nobody likes them anymore because they're all the same and like lackluster yeah. in a and lot auto of 1800 ways. will be good forever <laughs> it's because now like at, at that point i mean like if if you're willing to pay forty bucks again every single year, you have to assume competition. I don't care. I'm just gonna buy the say the same thing for the same game again because it's just gonna keep being the best one. I don't care. There's no competition for it because it's the best. Which is why I was saying because like to... city builders are a niche community. There are so many of them. Oh, like yeah. it is one of the most oversaturated indie genres. I think right next to platformers in terms of how many indie attempts at a city builder come out. And the ones but that attempts. succeed are always the ones that do something different. Yeah, like exactly. games like Dorf Romantic, where it's a weird little tile-based mini city area builder that's very different from a regular thing. Because um, people aren't going to stop playing Civilization, Ano, their grand strategy games to play a city builder that is mediocre. So you have to kind of find what your niche is going to be. So it's a weird little dichotomy of do you go for that more niche community that's going to be more willing to spend a lot of money? 
but it's also going to not buy it if it's not good. <laughs> yeah. All right. We've hit on the topics I had listed today. We're, we're going to end a little bit early because we started quite a bit late this time because uh, we have some schedule overlap. But that does mean it's time for shoutouts. We got some good ones this time. Wyatt, you look ready. I am ready. We were, we were talking about Mario music and yeah. it's all good, but I would like to submit my favorite Mario track, which granted, I only know the one Mario game, but I'm going to submit <laughs> it anyway. The Fossil Falls theme is incredible. It is really good. <laughs> and it is a song that has stuck with me ever since I first played the game and heard it. I, ah, it's so good. <laughs> it's so good. Brett, you prepared right. with your shout out? I am actually very excited because uh, I've been meaning to recommend this game to other people for pretty much all week. Uh, it's a little early access game on Steam called Lunacid. It's like if you attach the words Luna and Acid together at the A. Uh, it's by Excellent. a guy who did um, Lost in Vivo and a guy who did uh, some some work on Spooky's Jump Scare Mansion, or whatever the hell that game is called. If you like your low-poly throwbacks... I saw images of this, and immediately I want to play it. <laughs> yes, yes. If you like your low-poly throwback games that have just super weird atmospheres but are made really well... I, it, Lunacid does like the only reason that Lunacid feels like it's an early access is because there's there's a big door like depending on how you play it ten hours in that is like okay I didn't make this part yet mechanically and like atmospherically it is like super 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 good if you like Kingsfield any of those really old pre like famous from software games this is absolutely up your alley it is really fun. The amount of different like builds and classes you can do is is pretty crazy. Uh, currently, magic is overpowered, and you can just spam the cast button ninety times in one second and just obliterate anything standing in front of you. It's amazing. It's so much yeah. fun, and I'm going to be following it as it keeps being developed because it's very very good. This is immediately got enough follow for me too. Cause this looks super oh, cool. Yeah. Um, all right, that that's you two. I want to talk about a little known game called Lego Star Wars: The, the Skywalker Saga. And the fact <laughs> that they just released four more capital ship encounters for free, Ooh. I have never seen Lego do this, where they, they've just added content for free. And the capital ship encounters are basically like mini levels on their own, and it can be like an hour of stuff to do, uh, depending on, it, it, with all four of them combined. So it's just a cool thing that's released, especially because you can now fight a Venator and claim it, which is the thing I wanted to do in this game from the start. Wasn't they? They only had the uh, enemy ships in there, so you couldn't fight a Venator. I want a Venator, and now I can get a Venator, and that's very exciting to me. So I, I just love that they they put the time in to do that. Very excited to see, to play through that. All right, as always, Tuesday morning, seven a.m. Eastern time on the podcast platform of your choice. We'll see you next time. That's it. That's the outro. Bye, it's Mario. <laughs> Mario. Mario, more like Mario. No. Oh, <laughs> right at the beat drop too, dude. Jeez. <laughs> Great timing. Alex Savage. Is here. Someone's got to pick up this flag. It's true. <laughs>